name is Patrick McGillivray, and I'm an experienced marathoner, ultra runner, sports nutritionist, master life coach, and weight loss coach for runners. I've dedicated my life to helping runners just like you properly fuel your body and your mind so you can get leaner, get stronger, run faster, and run longer than you ever thought possible. This is Running Lean. Hey there, and welcome to episode 68 of Running Lean. My name is Patrick McGilvray, and today I've got a really cool topic for you. This is our complicated relationship with food. So when it comes to our health and fitness, honestly, there's no topic that's probably more controversial or more complicated than what foods we should eat and what foods we should avoid. And experts will tell you like this diet is the best one for everyone or that one is the best for everyone. And, or maybe that it's not about the food at all. It's more a problem of willpower and self-control. Just eat whatever you want. Just eat less of it and exercise more and you'll be fine. And I've come to realize that it's just not that simple. We humans, we've evolved to have a very interesting and very complicated relationship with food. So why is what we eat so complicated? And what does this mean for us? And most importantly, what can we do about it? So in this episode, I share many of the reasons why our relationship with food is complicated. And my hope is that by the end of this episode, you'll have a deeper understanding of this complicated relationship we have with food and maybe be able to make some more informed decisions about your own dietary choices. But first, if you haven't already done so, come check us out on Facebook. We have this amazing group of runners, uh, the Running Lean Podcast community on Facebook, and it's a place where you can ask questions, get help, feel supported. Hey, we all need to feel supported sometimes, especially when it comes to trying to accomplish something big like training for a a marathon or an ultra marathon, or maybe, you know, getting lean and strong, maybe losing some weight. Um, All of these things, uh, we support each other in the Facebook community. So come and join us. You can lean into this this community. You'll find encouragement, inspiration, and motivation. Um, Just go to Facebook and search for Running Lean Community. I hope you join us. It's fun. We have fun. I want to dive right into this topic today because I've been thinking about this for a few weeks now and I really wanted to share this information with you guys and acknowledge the fact that our relationship with food is complicated. And and I think it's we do ourselves a disservice when we try to simplify it, you know, just eat this or don't eat that. And, and it's more complicated than that. And I wanna just really acknowledge how complicated this really is. And that there's a lot more going on than just, you know, um, these foods are good, these foods are bad, you know, that kind of mentality. I don't think that serves anybody, okay? So before I get into like why things are complicated, I wanna just give a quick history And this is like (laughs) non-scientific, but I just want to give you a rundown of kind of the way we've evolved, okay? So we had these hunter-gatherer ancestors, okay, who I'm assuming did not have a very complicated relationship with food, all right? Food was a means of survival. So they would hunt, they would gather, they had this uh, survival instinct 
that told them that they needed to go forage for food or hunt for food. They got some food, they ate it, they shared it. It was probably, uh, from what I understand, it was probably a community uh, effort. You know, the whole community got involved with the hunting and gathering, the preparing of the food, and then the eating of the food. And and so we evolved with this um, beautiful, um, healthy sort of relationship, I guess you could call it, uh, 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 relationship with food. And over millions of years, we, we grew, we grew these amazing brains. You know, we became the most advanced living creature in the, in the known universe. Think about this. There is no creature that is as evolved as we are that we know about in the universe. There might be, it'd be very cool if we could figure that out and, and meet some of these other creatures. But for now, it's just us, okay? And we evolved this way because of our dietary choices, really, if you think about it. And then we lived this way for eons, you know, for literally millions of years. And then something changed in the last few thousand years. You know, we started to see things like um, people uh, becoming obese and uh, diseased and, you know, there was a lot of overeating and, and gluttony and things like that. And, um, and, and you can see this in the history. If you look at like the Roman Empire, so this would have been, you know, just a few thousand years ago. Uh, during the Roman Empire, being fat was a sign of being ugly. Like they really admired the ideal human form. If you look at the sculptures and, and paintings from that era, they had this ideal that they were uh, reaching for. And people that were fat, people that were overweight, this was a sign of ugliness and a sign of uh, uh, being mentally unbalanced, like an unfit mind. And, and so they created things like gymnasiums where they would work out to get stronger and, and improve their fitness and their health. And they held beauty contests for women. It's like interesting, you know? Um, and then like the early Christians, they thought that uh, being obese was a sign of not being spiritual. And early on in, in uh, you know, the early uh, few hundred years AD, you know, gluttony was deemed, you know, one of the deadly sins. And so we started out with really no sort of like, uh, emotional, spiritual, or mental like hangups around food and our bodies. And then as we've evolved, you know, all of this has become more complicated. And, and being overweight or, or uh, obese, you know, ha has been vilified. Okay. So just know that, you know, only in the last few thousand years have we started to really have this super complicated uh, relationship with food. And, and I would say probably within the last 100, 120 years or so, have things really amped up, you know, especially in the era of the internet and social media. And we'll get into that a little bit more in just a minute here. But um, here's the thing. Um, we, we do need food to survive. Food 
gives us life. Food can also cause us harm. It can create a, a diseased state in our body. We know this. The science tells us this. It can, it can create a, a state of um, obesity and lead to debilitating diseases and can even kill us. So when I talk about our complicated relationship with food, we need food to survive. Without it, we'll die. But <laughs> eating the wrong types of food, too much food, can literally kill us. This is, this is where things start to get complicated, okay? So one of the first real big complications I want to talk about here is that you know, the foods we tend to love the most, the foods that we're most drawn to, the foods that we fantasize about, seem to be the ones that are the worst for us. For example, sugar is amazing, right? When we eat sugar, we feel amazing, feel so good. We get this rush of dopamine, our endorphins, you know, get released. Uh, eating sugar lights up the same centers in our brain as when, you know, you do cocaine. Um, so this is great, right? Like we've we evolved as humans to seek out these kinds of calorie dense, very sweet foods, you know, like honey and berries. And we would we would eat these foods every now and then. But nowadays, these foods that we're eating are being, you know, uh, developed in a laboratory by uh, food scientists. They're, they're deemed hyper palatable. So they, they um, really hijack the pleasure centers of our brains. So when we eat some of these hyper palatable foods, we can't get them out of our mind, you know. So we're really, really drawn to these foods. Um, so that's sugar. Flour is the same way. So flour is like white flour, especially is a, uh, a very concentrated form of carbohydrate, just like sugar is. But I didn't know this until recently, but flour actually spikes your blood sugar even more than actual like table sugar does because it's ground so finely. So it is a, a very refined carbohydrate, but because there's so much more surface area um, uh, in flour, because it's so fine, that it will create an even higher spike in your blood sugar. So when you're eating things that are made of flour and sugar, this is just like woof, off the charts, right? So the foods we love the most, the foods that we're like most drawn to are seem to be the ones that cause the most problems, you know? Um, so this, this makes things complicated, right? Um, and, and these foods, you know, we, we, we know that too much sugar is bad and, and it causes uh, us to ho hold on to fat. We store fat when we eat a lot of sugar and flour. And it's, it's making us fat and obese and sick and it's slowly killing us. Uh, we've never been more... Uh, fat as a as a nation in the US, you know, uh, obesity rates have more than tripled since the 1970s. And and the the major culprit 
uh, I would argue, and the science would argue, is the the high, uh, highly refined carbohydrates, especially sugar and liquid sugar and soda and things like that. So um, this is complicated, right? Um, in in uh, in conjunction with that is you know is this addictive nature of food? So you know, I, like I was saying, the big food industry. They use this idea of hyperpalatability and they create this food that is super, super desirable so that they can sell more food. And honestly, we are being manipulated in a way. I'm not a, like a conspiracy theorist type of guy here, but we are being manipulated by the big food industries especially the big packaged food industries, because they just want to sell us more food. They're not concerned about how healthy or unhealthy these products are. They are uh, only concerned about making more money. And so they, they put a lot of money into making these foods as highly palatable as possible. And so, you know, um, this is where the complication comes in, right? Because these foods that we know are <laughs> not good for us are incredibly addicting. And we just like, we can't get enough of them, right? They're like the, the most, the things we desire the most there. Our, our desire is like off the charts for these kinds of foods, okay? So, you know, um, most of us, most of us cannot handle uh, these these highly refined carbohydrates. And, and most people, the majority of people are what is called carbohydrate intolerant. Just means like you can't handle a diet that's really high in carbohydrates. Um, these highly palatable, high carbohydrate foods, they're, they're just as addictive uh, a substance as something like alcohol. In fact, they turn on those similar pathways in the brain. They turn on this thing called the phenomenon of craving. It's like once you start thinking about donuts, you can't get it out of your head and you just got to go, you got to have a donut. It's very similar to um, somebody who has a, an addiction to something like alcohol. When they start thinking about it, they, they can't get it out of their head. It's, it's this like craving that they just can't shake. You know, and the food industry, they know this and they make these, these foods that are, that do this to us so that we'll buy more. They even put it on their packaging. You know, once you, once you pop, you can't stop. <laughs> They're like, we acknowledge the fact that you cannot just have one potato chip. You know, like you're going to eat this whole bag once you open it up. That was my experience anyway. I used to love those kettle uh, let's see, I think it's called like kettle brand chips. I don't even know anymore, but they're these, uh, uh, potato chips with like salt and vinegar on them and just the saltiness and the, and the bitter, like vinegar taste to these things. I could not stop eating these things. I would go through a whole bag. I could not just eat just one. You're right. Food companies. I cannot stop once I pop. <laughs> um, and so, and so there, there's this like uh, addictive nature to food and there's this hyper palatability to food. And on one hand, there's people, 
you know, trying to make the food as pleasurable as possible. Remember, our brains are, are really good at seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. That's, that's our, our amygdala, you know, that ancient part of our brain, that primitive part of our brain is always seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. And, and this does it for us, you know, seeking out these highly palatable foods creates this incredibly intense desire and, and pleasure for us. Okay, but it's also super terrible for our health. So this is complicated, right? Um, and then you'll hear um, people say things like, well, you can eat anything you want, just in moderation. Um, all foods in moderation. This is the slogan uh, that a lot of registered dietitians use. All foods in moderation. Uh, and I, I just don't think this is necessarily good advice because for some of us, certain foods can trigger addictive-like responses. So wouldn't it be better to just avoid some of these foods? Just a thought. I mean, it's kind of like telling somebody who has a drinking problem, and, and maybe they're an alcoholic, to just have a few beers every now and then. You know, you can drink, it's fine. Just, you know, one or two. But the answer for some of us is that if we, um, the, the answer really for some of us is that we just have to avoid these problematic foods altogether because if we, if we start, we can't stop. You know, when I used to drink alcohol, I could not stop at just one. I had to keep going because it lit up that pleasure center in my brain and my brain, you know, maybe it's wired differently than most people. I don't know, but I couldn't stop it. Just, I couldn't have just one beer. I would see people that would like drink uh, a half a beer and like leave it on the table. I'd be like, what is happening here? <laughs> Does not compute. <laughs> How do you do that? Um, and it's the same way with food for a lot of us. Like we cannot stop. We, you know, once you, um, if you order dessert at the table and everybody's like, oh, let's just share, just have one bite. We can each have one bite. No, man, I'm going to get my own dessert. Okay. I'm going to eat the whole thing myself. You, you can't, I'm not sharing it with you. All right. Because I'm not, I can't just have one bite. It just, it triggers this response inside me. So wouldn't it be better to maybe just avoid that? Okay. I don't know that all foods in moderation is like the, the best advice, you know? And, um, Here's, I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here just, just about uh, registered dietitians, and, and I love them, and I have friends who are, are RDs, um, but the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, so this is the organization, the kind of the governing board of registered dietitians, this is an organization that over the years has been funded by, um, has been funded by big companies like McDonald's. PepsiCo, Coca-Cola Company, Sara Lee, Abbott Nutrition, General Mills, Kellogg's, Mars, you know, the people that make candy, Unilever, and the Sugar Association. So, of course, their slogan is going to be all foods in moderation. Eat some McDonald's, eat some, you know, drink some Coke and Pepsi, eat your cereal, eat your candy bars. Um, sugar is fine, just in moderation, right? So... This organization, the A&D, is kind of in bed with big food. And in my opinion, and in the opinion of a lot of people in the nutrition world, 
it's coloring their stance. You know, by telling people that cereal and soda and candy bars are fine, um, I don't think this is a good advice necessarily, okay? That does not mean that every registered dietitian is, is telling people to go eat McDonald's and Coke and, and things like that. But I'm just saying that there's a, again, this is complicated, right? That there's, there's these uh, relationships that, that um, big companies have with nutrition governing bodies. And for example, like registered dietitians, they are the only people that can prescribe meals for patients in hospitals. And for type two diabetic patients, um, this is no joke, they will prescribe a breakfast of coffee, orange juice, a bagel, Rice Krispies, a V8, and a package of white sugar. This is for somebody suffering from high blood sugar, hyperinsulinemia, type two diabetes. This diet is going to spike their blood sugar like crazy. That is not what you want to give somebody that's a type 2 diabetic. And then their solution is, well, then we just inject them with more insulin and the problem is solved. Um, this is crazy right here, okay? And if you want to um, learn more about this, there's a great book by uh, Michelle Hearn. She's a registered dietitian, and it's called The Dietitian's Dilemma. And she talks about this this place where she got to in her, in her, um, dietitian practice where she was like, I, I just, I don't feel good prescribing people with, uh, um, type two diabetes, these super high sugary, uh, meals. I just can't do it, but this is what they have to give them. It's, it's, it's a little, it's a little complicated. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. I, I absolutely believe that we should, we should be able to treat ourselves every now and then. You know, so yeah, some foods are problematic. Maybe for me, you know, sugar is a problem and maybe I want to not eat sugar most of the time. But can I treat myself every now and then? You know, if it's Christmas, can I have some Christmas pudding? Or is it, if it's Thanksgiving, do I want to eat a piece of pumpkin pie with some whipped cream on it? Yeah, sure. If it's my birthday, am I going to eat some birthday cake? Mm, probably, yes. <laughs> um. And, and then I just go back to my regular um, diet, you know, the next day. But if treating yourself is, is having negative consequences or if it becomes something that you, you can't stop doing, is this, is this good for you? Is this really a treat? So, you know, I don't want to go through my life never eating a good piece of fresh sourdough bread again or... You know, pizza, I love pizza for the crust. I'll be honest with you. I, the toppings, whatever. I, I love pizza because it's the, the crust. I just love the stretchiness of it and the, uh, oh, it's so good, so good. And, and I wanna be able to eat that again. I wanna be able to eat some ice cream again, but I don't wanna be obsessed with these foods. And this is where things get complicated, right? Because we wanna be able to do this every now and then, but for some, we just can't do that, you know, so maybe it's better to just avoid altogether for the most part, you know, avoid it altogether, except for maybe some special occasions. I haven't eaten sugar in a very long time. I think the last time I ate some sugar was on, when was it? Thanksgiving probably. And, and we're in April now. So this was a while back 
and and I enjoyed it, but it wasn't amazing, and I haven't been, I didn't get obsessed with it, you know? So for me, I don't really want to just, I just don't want to eat sugar because I, I can't stop once I start. Um, so I'm just, you know, the, the reason I'm doing this today and talking about this stuff is because we do have a complicated relationship with food, and I don't want to ever say that it's easy and that it's it's super straightforward because we all have a very unique uh, relationship with food. We all have strong opinions. We all have um, certain desires and things that trigger us and, and it's complicated and I just wanna acknowledge that. So another thing that we're told is that, um, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, is that you know if you just eat less food and exercise more, you'll be fine. So eat whatever you want, just eat less and exercise more and got nothing to worry about. And honestly, this just doesn't work. We've talked about this before. And it has been proven that this doesn't work for the majority of us. You know, um, if, you're, if you're overweight, um, so this is their stance, it's like if you're overweight, it means you overeat. And, you know, you just gotta eat less. If you had more self-control, you wouldn't be overweight, overweight because you wouldn't eat as much. And I just think this is so crazy because it's just not true. There are so many people that watch their calories and they exercise a lot and and they still gain weight. It's not necessarily about how much you're eating. It's like what kinds of foods you're eating and and how how is your relationship with food. I have this client who had a running streak going, still does, but he's had this running streak going since 2007. So this guy is an absolute beast. He runs at least three miles a day. Since 2007, this is like well over 5,000 miles, I believe by now. And in this process, he's gained over 50 pounds. So this is an average weight gain of 3.8 pounds a year. If if it really took that long, you know, it, it really only came on in the last half of this. So really it was more like six pounds a year or so. And just so you know, the average adult in the U S gains around two pounds a year after the age of 20. And, and so this is a problem. Like you're, you're going to be pretty overweight as you get older. Right. Um, but this person, this client of mine doing this running streak was exercising like crazy like crazy and still gained all this weight. Like the answer is not to exercise more. Um, and, and this person was not a, a, a compulsive overeater or anything like that. You know, for the most part, tried to eat a, uh, a pretty healthy diet, but still gained 50 pounds. The answer is not, uh, you know, eat less and run more. It just doesn't work. And, you know, there's a lot of experts out there that are doling out advice um, and, and trying to tell us what we should do. And, um, and, and a lot of this advice I think is, is well-intentioned and it may work for them, but a lot of these experts are, are thin people and they've always been thin and they've never been overweight and they've never, never struggled with eating and they don't know what it's like to be a fat person, to be overweight. And, and some of these experts that are, that have always been thin trying to tell us, you know, well, you, you just don't have enough self-control, I think is really doing us a disservice. 
I used to follow these ultra runners who uh, were following like a, a high carbohydrate plant-based diet. And they're like, this is what you do. You got to eat all these carbs, eat a plant-based diet. And I'm like, oh, if this is the way to go, that's what I'm going to do because this is what the experts are telling me. Well, you know, these, these ultra runner experts are, have been thin their whole life and they run like 200 miles a week, <laughs> okay? They've never struggled with their weight a day in their life. They're, maybe they're not carbohydrate intolerant. They may be part of that population that can handle a high carbohydrate diet. Plus, you know, if you're running 200 miles a week, you know, it's going to be really hard for you to put on weight. You know, also these people are like elite athletes. They're like the top 1% of athletes in the world. You know, and here I am, just some average dude with, you know, who's overweight, you know, trying to follow their advice and it's not working for me, right? This is complicated. <laughs> it's not as simple as just doing what they do because I'm not them. We're all different. We all have different needs. We all have different metabolic profiles. We all have different desires. We all have different likes. We all have different goals. And we have to meet, you know, we need to meet ourselves where we are. And we need to do what is best for us and what works for us. And having thin people trying to tell us what to do, I don't think is doing us a, uh, much of a service, okay? Um, and then we get into things like uh, the, our, our relationship with food being so complicated, we get into things like eating disorders, you know? There's this um, body dysmorphia, which is... Uh, a mental illness, you know, and, and it's, uh, it's when people think, you know, they see a flaw in themselves, you know, that this flaw they see in themselves could be, um, very minor or it could even be just something they're imagining, but they, they spend hours just, you know, trying to fix this flaw. You know, they may try, uh, excessive exercise or they do cosmetic procedures and they, they look at themselves in the mirror and they say, oh, I'm so fat. Or look at that, look at my nose, you know. And, and this is like an issue that causes, um, you know, other eating disorders. So this body dysmorphia, like we, we're comparing ourselves to maybe this a perfect ideal image we see on Instagram or something. And it can lead to you know, um, depression, anxiety, and other types of eating disorders, you know, like anorexia. Anorexia is a very distorted body image. It's a super, like, um, intense fear of gaining weight, of being fat. And so a lot of people that have anorexia are very below uh, normal weight. They're very unhealthy. Um, they starve themselves. They exercise. They over-exercise. And for a lot of these people, they need medical treatment to get themselves back to normal weight. A lot of times they need um, um, therapy, too, to help with their self-esteem and with these behavioral changes they need to make. Uh, bulimia, similar uh, disorder. Um, you know, this is uh, uh, binging and uh, purging, you know, and people with uh, bulimia, um, you know, they're... they're they, they feel compelled to binge eat, and, um, and then they, they want to avoid any kind of weight gain, so they'll, they'll purge. And this can um, be life-threatening, right? Because you know, with anorexia and bulimia, 
these people are not getting the nutrition that they need to be healthy. So, you know, we've, we've taken this idea of like, um, a, a healthy ideal and it can go to the extreme and it can be very hard for people to, um, to see themselves as healthy. Um, especially when we compare ourselves to others. And if, if, if you or somebody, you know, is struggling with, you know, dysmorphia or uh, anorexia or bulimia, you need to get some sort of medical help, honestly. Um, because these are, uh, serious eating disorders and, um, could be life threatening. So definitely seek out help with these kinds of things. Um, but see, there's this, there's this complicated relationship we have with food, you know, and it's just been, it, it, it gets more intense. You know, it can be very intense for people. Um, you know, we have this, uh, physical, we have a physical relationship with food, like where we have to eat food or we die. Okay. But like I was saying, you know, we have these, um, uh, hyper palatable foods and that create a physical, a physical craving in our body. So our body gets addicted to these, uh, feelings of, of bliss that we get from eating highly refined carbohydrates, for example. So the way it works is you eat some sugar, let's say, like you eat some donuts, right? Blood sugar spikes like crazy, but then it comes crashing down. And in order to get back to baseline, your body needs more donuts to get back there. So you eat more donuts. And then the cycle repeats, you know, blood sugar spikes, then crashes hard. And, you know, we get a lot of energy from eating donuts. We get this like burst of, of energy, but then after a couple of hours, we have much less energy. We're more fatigued than before we ate the donuts. Okay. So we have this physical, this complicated physical relationship with food, with certain foods, especially. And then we have this emotional relationship with food. We use food to comfort ourselves. We use food to soothe ourselves so that we feel better. Um, when we experience a difficult emotion, like we're stressed out or, or we have anxiety or, or we're bored or we're angry or we're sad or we feel hurt, a lot of times we turn to food to make us feel better. Some foods we call comfort foods because they comfort us. They make us feel good. And this is fine. It's fine to do this, okay? But if your comfort food has negative consequences, this may not be such a good idea. Obviously, it depends on the food you're using to comfort yourself. You could comfort yourself with a, a whole pizza, like I used to do. <laughs> uh, a large pizza and a pint of Ben, ben and Jerry's. And oh, that's very comforting but lots of negative consequences. I just kept getting fatter and sicker. You could also comfort yourself with other types of food and people don't think of it this way, but you could comfort yourself with a big colorful salad or a thick ribeye steak or a piece of grilled salmon or uh, yeah, with like butter sauce on it. Oh my gosh, amazing. And it's very comforting to eat healthy food as well. It can be. So we don't have to go to the highly palatable foods to comfort ourselves. Sometimes we can use, um, I know it, it's like, Oh really Patrick? Like I'm just going to go eat a big pile of broccoli and that's going to comfort me. And you know, <laughs> sometimes yes, sometimes yes. Okay. But we can actually choose uh, comfort foods that, that, 
do serve us and that will support our good health. So we have a physical relationship with food that's complicated. We have an emotional relationship with food that can be complicated. And then we have this mental relationship with food. You know, just thinking about food can produce a physical craving, just the anticipation of eating food. It's actually more enticing than the actual experience itself. Like I remember, um, yeah, for Thanksgiving last year, I was all obsessed about this pumpkin pie and I'm like, this is going to be so amazing and I'm going to get the, you know, the whipped cream on there and it's just, I can't wait to do it. And, and the anticipation, I had this idea in my brain that it was going to be so amazing. And then when the event actually happened and I ate it, I was like, eh, it's all right. <laughs> it's like no big deal. It wasn't as good as it, it, uh, it, it was in my brain, you know, beforehand leading up to it. So we have this mental sort of obsession with food. This is complicated, right? Um, we have uh, food we see in our Instagram feed, you know, um, food porn, they call it, you know, and, um, and just do a search for the hashtag food porn on Instagram. It's amazing. Like pictures of burgers and, and pie and cake and uh, donuts and all kinds of stuff. It's it's pretty amazing. Your mouth will just start to water just by looking at these pictures. Um, and then there's the role that, you know, the media plays and we see these billboards with giant pictures of pizzas on them. We are out running this past weekend and um, I don't, I don't like, you know, pizza really uh, from this one place uh, here in town, but there was a big giant billboard with this huge pizza on it. And like I said, I don't even like their pizza, but I saw that billboard and I was like, oh my gosh, I could go for a big piece of pizza right now because I'm looking at this thing and it's creating this trigger in my brain, right? And they know that it does that to us. You know, we see these ads on TV, ads on social media, ads in magazines and stuff like that. And the food that they just, you know, they're just pumping us full of, uh, you know, uh, these images of how amazing this food is, Okay. And then we have the social aspects of food. So a lot of times, you know, we, we want to stay on our plan, but then we, we go out with friends or something and we feel like we're being judged by other people. You know, we want to celebrate with food, but then we feel like we're, we're doing something bad. You know, um, there's a lot of stereotypes too, like, oh, you're a runner? Oh, all runners are skinny people. All runners can eat whatever they want. They don't have to worry about getting fat. I don't know about you, but that's not my experience. I, I, I was fat. Um, and, and, uh, I felt judged by people like, Oh, you're a runner and you're, you're overweight. Like you must be doing it wrong. Um, and then we have all this fat shaming that goes on, you know, so there's like there's so much judgment around this stuff. Right. Um, when we're, when we're being judged by others, we, we tend to, want to, you know, crawl back to safety. And so we don't stick to our program because we're, we feel judged. You know, we don't want to be the weirdo at the dinner party or in the restaurant with our friends. You know, everybody's eating, eating bread and, and, and you're like, oh, no bread for me. And they're like, what's, what's wrong with you, weirdo? Now, of course, people probably don't say that, but that's what we think. And we feel judged by people. There's this social pressure and food pushers, you know, people that are telling us, just eat, just eat it, it's fine. It's not fine. It's not fine. 
And then, you know, we have this, uh, uh, speaking of restaurants, we have this problem, I think, with portion sizes and how much we eat and how often we eat. And we're told that we need to eat three meals a day plus a couple of snacks plus dessert. And so we end up eating six times a day and we're snacking all day long and we, we go out to eat and our portion sizes are humongous. And, and I think that overeating has become the norm, you know? Um, and then there's this like self torture that we, that we do to ourselves. Like we, we torture ourselves around food. Like I shouldn't eat this or I, I can't eat that. And in order to lose weight, I have to suffer. I have to suffer my way to better health. You know, if I'm not suffering, I must not be doing it right. So I've never had a diet where I didn't suffer and feel terrible. And then there's this guilt and shame we feel when we don't stick to our plan. And there's a internal shame of, of, of feeling, you know, ugly or overweight. And we have this emotional distress around how much we weigh and the scale. And if we gain a pound, it means we're a bad person and we're a failure and we have a bad day. And so we just go back to eating the, the garbage food, you know? Um, and if you want to know more about that, the scale drama, check out episode number 66, all about eliminating scale drama. Cause I take a deep dive into that topic. So all of these things I've talked about here today, and I know I've kind of been all over the place, but I, I, I did this on purpose because I just want I want you to know that this is complicated. It's, it's not a subject that, you know, we can just talk about in, in black and white. It's not black and white. There's so much gray area here. And what works for one person doesn't work for somebody else. So what do we do with all of this? What do we do with all this information? Yeah, it's super complicated. So what do we do? Well, I want you to know that the reason I created this is because I wanted to create a massive amount of awareness. I want you to see how complicated our relationship with food has become. And that this is not easy. This, this topic is controversial, it's complicated, it's complex. There's a lot of nuances here, a lot of gray area. I want you to be able to make informed decisions about your own health. And I want you to feel good about what you choose to eat and choose not to eat. You gotta do what feels good for you. I also want you to be open to different ideas. So maybe not the ideas that are pushed down from the big food companies, but maybe some more grassroots kinds of ideas. You know, we are all an experiment of one, so you need to figure out what works best for you. Take control of your own health and your own fitness and your own diet and do what feels best for you. If you want to be a vegetarian or a vegan or do the Mediterranean diet or Weight Watchers, whatever you want to do is completely fine. I have no judgments about any of that stuff. But if what you're doing isn't working, I want you to be open-minded to try something else. You know, I talk about this a lot here. I have a, a bias towards a lower carbohydrate approach. It seems to be the high carbohydrate diet seems to be a problem for most of us. Okay. And so a just lowering some of these problematic carbohydrates seems to help most people achieve peak physical health and 
you know, if you can adopt a lower carbohydrate approach and become a fat adapted runner, oh, that's amazing. And if you want help with this, like reach out to me. I'll walk you through that whole process step by step. One of the main reasons why I chose this field to, to specialize in sports nutrition, health and fitness coaching for runners is because it is so complicated. And because I want to take all of these complicated issues here and I want to do my best to distill them down for you so that they make sense and that you can make informed decisions and you can take control of your own health and fitness. So I do my best here on this podcast and in my coaching programs to uh, help you to make good decisions and do what works best for you. Because there's not one diet that works for everyone. And my job is to help you and help my clients figure out what's the best for you. What's the best for your body type? What works best for your metabolism? What's going to help support your health and fitness goals? What supports your likes and dislikes? Complicated, right? We have a complicated relationship with food. I'm hoping that you got something out of this episode today. And, and if you did, uh, if you could please consider sharing it with a friend, that would mean a lot to me. All right, that's all I got for you today. Thanks for letting me rant a little bit here. As always, lots and lots of love to every single one of you. Keep on running lean, and I'll talk to you soon. If you've tried to lose weight by running miles and miles or starving yourself and you've had zero results, you are not alone. This model of weight loss is broken. It's never worked and it has to be replaced. That's why I created a powerful new training just for you called How to Become a Lean Running Machine. You'll discover why running more and eating less does not work for weight loss. And you'll learn the three secrets to losing weight and keeping it off for good. To get this free training right now, just go to runningleanpodcast.com slash lean and learn how you can become a lean running machine.